welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Let's take a breath and just relax. We need more of that these days. Amen. It's good to be at church this morning. Yes? I assume so. You came. You showed up. It's good to be here. It's good to be lifting up praise and prayer together with people we can lift up prayers and praise with. It's nice to be gathered here after a peaceful week where nothing controversial happened. Nothing controversial ever happens anymore. Amen? If you think that, if you're like, oh, absolutely, Pastor, I applaud you for not reading the news, turning on the TV, looking outside, or doing anything else, it's a good life in some ways. But it feels like something's happening all the time. I like to keep up on the news. I think that's important. But every time I do, it's like something new has come about, and then social media figures it all out, gets all the answers out there, so we can all be on one page, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Every day, some sort of breaking news. Every day, it's like there's an anxiety stoked in our culture, and if I'm honest, in me. Does it feel like the world is constantly changing? Can we be certain of anything in our culture today? Maybe for the next hour, right? Well, I have some good news, friends. Are you ready for the good news? I hope. I hope that's what you came here for. The ever-changing and ever-controversial reality that we face is nothing new. That is unchanging in its own way. Now, that may not seem like good news, but I hope it offers you comfort that we aren't facing unprecedented times. Some of us may be relieved by this bit of good news. Okay, we're not alone. Some of you may be more anxious. Oh, dear Lord, how worse the world is than I realized. Most of us feel a bit of both, don't we? A little comfort. Not really. Don't you wish we could have one week where everything just stayed the same? Wouldn't that be nice? The biblical writers feel your pain. They all wrote during significant shifts in the world, in the reality of their people, and in their lives. Can you think of one that did not? And I had to reflect upon that for a while. I really think there's got to be one where things were just good, right? You could point to Proverbs maybe, right? It's just good advice. But where do you think that advice came from? Stumbles and falls and reasons to think people need to know this. Crisis and conflict and change are constant. It's just part of our reality. It's such a permanent part of our reality that we have a saying. There are only two things for certain in life, and those are... All of you know it, death and taxes. And taxes aren't the same. They change, don't they? We are in the church. Death isn't the same. But really, we're in, we're in a bit of a conundrum here, aren't we, as the church? We're going to read from the book of Hebrews today, a wonderful book, which was written to help people in a time of great crisis and change in their time, explaining the meaning of Jesus coming and dying and resurrecting and ascending through a very particular lens 
which was temple worship in Jerusalem using animal sacrifice. Yay. But why tell it that way? To be honest, we don't know when this was written exactly or to whom it was written or who wrote it exactly. There's a speculation that it was around the time of the Jewish revolt in Jerusalem, the 60s, late 60s of the first century. Various Jewish militia groups, all led by their own leaders, their own ideals, they rose up against Rome, who occupied the area. And when Rome left to go and spend a few years calling in troops and assembling and becoming enormous so they could come back at a minimal loss of Roman life and take the city, which they did a few years later. But in the midst of that time, when the Romans were gone, the militia groups all stood together, united, and became one people. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They all claimed to be the rightful group. They fought over and held different parts of the Temple Mount itself in factions. They lifted up their leaders as Messiah. Some of them even rode in on horses, waving palms, holding a sword. This happened. Then while they fought each other, Rome did amass, came back, and took them all out, leveled the temple. We can't fully comprehend how earth-shaking that moment was without some serious time reflecting upon some of the own catastrophes we've endured in our life and then multiplying that by a lot. The writer speaks of great earth-shaking in the text itself. There's a reason for that. He or she speaks of the temple being judged by God. They speak of an older way of life involving the temple and animal sacrifice ceasing to exist, and instead a new understanding with Jesus Christ being the sacrifice and this new way bursting forth through the church. You could see why they're using this old language to tell of this new reality and the big change and crisis that's occurring. It's easy to read this book and feel lost because... We've never been a part of an animal sacrifice, right? Well, I shouldn't assume. Has anyone been part of an animal sacrifice? And I'm not talking about putting animals down on the farm, Kathleen. We haven't been part of that. So we may not quite understand this book without a lot of help. If we think we understand without help, I encourage you to rethink that stance. It's complicated. I think we need that help in the whole book has walked us through symbolism and fine detail for 12 chapters, and we come to the final chapter today. If you haven't read the previous 12, grab a study note of some sort, maybe multiple, and go and read it. It's beautiful. But for today, we're just going to focus on the end, chapter 13, where this carefully explained symbol of Jerusalem and the temple and sacrifice explains the Jesus event, and it's given a wrap-up. And the wrap-up by the writer is basically the writer saying this. I'm not quoting the Scripture but saying, I've told you all of this in such great detail so you understand it so that I can now instruct you on what it means for you today. I wonder at this point how many of the original hearers were anticipating some form of new sacrifice to come, right? That's all they'd known. Were they ready for something so monumentally different that challenged everything they had ever known and understood and imagined. How do you reimagine the very thing which provides your life meaning and purpose? A question faced by many when the temple was destroyed. How do you let go of tradition? For over a thousand years, they've been sacrificing animals. It's given the people identity and understanding. How do you prepare to embrace change in such a monumental way? 
we do our faith ancestors a great service at some point to just consider all the changes they really endured. They had to redefine themselves, God. They had to redefine how they even live life without a handy-dandy Bible all color-coded and organized at their disposal. They had the Hebrew Scriptures. It's quite remarkable. The writer lifts up, while things may change in many ways all the time, one thing remains unchanged. One thing. A quick word about the final two verses in the passage, because we're going to hear from 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip 9 through 14, and then we're going to jump to 15 and 16. 9 and 14 are focused on this redefinition of the temple and sacrifice and our understanding of ourselves as priests. The great promise of God lies ahead in this form of priesthood, and it explains that, but this temple and sacrifice language actually builds so that 15 and 16 makes some sense when it redefines praise and sacrifice and what that looks like now in the church for them then and for us now. So let's hear from Hebrews 13. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. Marriage must be honored in every respect, with no cheating on the relationship, because God will judge the sexually immoral person and the person who commits adultery. Your way of life should be free from the love of money, and you should be content with what you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. This is why we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I won't be afraid. What can people do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke God's word to you. Imitate their faith as you consider the way their lives turned out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which is the fruit from our lips that confess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have, because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These verses seem so gentle, so simple, right? Nice and warm. But the instructions come at a time when the earth is shaken to its core for this group. Maybe Jerusalem was under attack when this letter was penned. We can't know for sure. But imagine this great catastrophe had occurred or relate it to a catastrophe of our day. We're about to celebrate the anniversary of one in my lifetime and hear the instruction again. Imagine on September 12th, our leaders had stood before us and said, love each other like family. Share mutual love. Share what you have. Do good. That's not what we heard, is it? Keep loving each other like family or let mutual love continue. In the chaos and in the change of crisis, the instruction they receive is to keep loving each other. You might laugh if I offered up that message today in the midst of things, right? Let's be honest. It's a powerful message, really. 
because our tendency is not to stay focused on what's important in the time of crisis and change. Now, deep catastrophe shakes us from our distractions. Often does. September 12th, very few people were arguing about the things they were on September 10th. There was a recommitment to each other in a way that I had never seen. Some of you had, as there have been other catastrophes, but I hadn't seen it. It's beautiful, really. Beauty in the midst of such chaos. It should be admired, should be appreciated. When the earth is shaken for us, we can let go of the things that don't really matter, and we cling to the things that do. There's a unity that is strengthened in these moments, but time goes by and we get back to our distractions. Is it just me? Hey, I sometimes wonder if maybe I really don't know. I'm so sequestered in the life of the church, maybe I'm just all on my own here, but we can lose touch so deeply with our foundational purpose as people, as Christians, as children of God. The writer commands that while the earth may be shaking and shifting and changing, one thing doesn't. Jesus Christ doesn't change. Now, that sounds right, doesn't it? That sounds like a Sunday school answer. Jesus Christ never changes. Very churchy. Hardly going to find an argument to confront that. But what does it mean? What does it mean Jesus Christ never changes? He grew up from a baby into a man. He changed. Does he still look 33? We're all like, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? What occurred through the Jesus event, this birth, this life, this kingdom ushering, this death and crowning, this resurrection and ascension, what happened put everything back into proper order or began the process. We were, we had a point as humanity from the very beginning. We were to be priests in the original temple, which was creation. That's how Genesis 1 is structured. We are priests. We'll have another conversation about that if that's new. It's very beautiful. But that was always the point. We were going to bear the image of God as an image in a temple would bear the image of God. We were to bear the image, but not just in the looks of male and female, but as the way that we take care of the world and steward it. That's always been the point. Did that ever change? We changed. Humanity changed. We brought crisis and change into the whole picture. God has been working ever since to bring things back into order. Jesus Christ, the Word in the beginning, with God, God's self, never changed. Jesus Christ yesterday is the same as Jesus Christ today. Now, the today of the writing of the book of Hebrews is 2,000 years old. That's a long time ago. It's in this earth-shaking moment. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The people hearing the message, they are the very body of Jesus Christ. To be those priests, to live into that rightful order. Jesus Christ was the archetype priest given to us by God, who then passed the very same spirit to us that we might follow and become as Christ did, Christ-like, imitating Christ, to be God's representatives to the earth to reclaim our purpose. Yes, things were falling apart all around them, but isn't that what has to happen? If the brokenness needs to pass away, then 
don't they need to fall apart? How can the new things come to be if the old things still remain? But this shouldn't change their understandings of themselves, watching things fall apart, any more than it should for us today, watching things fall apart, as some of you may interpret that. Jesus Christ was the same for the original hearers of this letter on their today as much as ours. Yes, things are always changing, and frankly, many things break my heart. Things are riling up people all around us. Maybe you. I have no idea what next week will bring. Oh man, I could make some money if I knew that. All I know that can happen this week is that I can be a representative for God and base my life upon the only unchanging thing. Can we let go of our anxieties? It says, why should I worry? So easy to write that. So easy to say it. That's why it said over and over, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, and 362 subsequent times in Scripture. How many of those have you said, okay, I won't be afraid anymore? Can we? Can we really let go of our anxieties, our distractions? Do you believe it's possible? A little, bit of, a little bit of everything. Can we get back to the work before us, the work to which we were called and made and created? Caring for one another, like family. Opening our lives to strangers in generous ways. Taking time to remember and care for those who are imprisoned. And the implied thing here is wrongly. And even some people who've been arrested for something that they shouldn't have been doing, and maybe shouldn't be in prison for 20 years for something that other people who look different don't go to prison for. Taking time to truly empathize with those who are mistreated, to hear them when they say, I have been mistreated, and to not discount what they have to say just because it makes us uncomfortable, but to sit with the cries and hear them and imagine, what if that were me? What if that were my loved one? What if that were my family member? Can we honor the covenantal relationships to which we have committed ourselves to? And can we honor others as well? Can we stop rearranging our lives around finances and stuff so that we can instead trust God will provide our daily bread? What would it even look like daily to trust that God will give you everything you need and you need not worry? What would that look like? What would that free you up to do and be about? Yes, the world is always changing and our species simply doesn't handle change well, especially change we did not anticipate or ask for. But here we are, friends. Friends and siblings, we are here right now in this place together. We have come here today to found our lives upon the only thing that doesn't change, our rock, our Christ, our Savior, because Jesus Christ remains always the only true life that endures all change. Amen? We can place our trust and faith in him that we might be conformed to his never-changing image. We are priests together with assurance of a bright and glorious future. Amen? It's there. It's ours. It's done. So we can stop worrying. Maybe we can instead spend time remembering who we are, whose we are, we could stop fixating on what is happening around us that maybe we don't like. We could stop fixating on headlines, 
what's happening on the hill and who posted what. Who cares? It's not changing anything anyway. Maybe we could start turning our focus instead on a renewed commitment to our identity as a family and as our commitment. So let your worship today not just feed you. I mean, I hope that it does, but don't let it stop there. Let it set you on fire that whatever you've come in here kind of built up and in, in place melts down just a little bit, becomes malleable, that through our fellowship with one another, we might start to conform to Christ in the way that we share with one another and walk with one another. And then as reformed people walk out into that world of chaos and change and anxiety and be a source of something else, of good news for those around us. Find those who are hurting. Find those who are hungry. Find those who are vulnerable and find those who are captive. And let your image bearing shine the light of Jesus Christ in such a way that they will come to know of the unchanging love of God available to them too. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 